So the past several weeks, we've been reflecting on this image that emerged during a time of prayer and reflection uh, within the, the community of, of the elders of this church sometime last fall, as we were kind of looking for, God, where are you sending us? What, who, who are we to be? And, and this image emerged uh, of who is the church called to be at this time in this place. Uh, and we, we kind of had this image, a table in the wilderness that emerged. And over these last several weeks, we've been reflecting on the way that, that the wilderness is a place where we often find ourselves. And the wilderness is a place that shapes us and forms us into a different kind of people. Uh, a people who are not shaped and formed by the, the busyness and noise and values of the world around us, uh, but something very different is how we are shaped and formed. The wilderness turns us into a different kind of people. So we've been talking about these desert mothers and fathers who fled from the world, uh, sat in silence, and prayed to God. But a question that I've heard some people ask is, so what does this whole table in the wilderness thing have to do with community? How does this speak into us being a community together, right? What does it look like to be together in the wilderness? And that's what I want to explore this morning. You see, it was just short of three years ago that we were all plunged into a kind of wilderness that none of us would have ever predicted or imagined. The COVID-19 pandemic came into all of our awareness, and many other things went out of our lives. Public places closed, group gatherings ceased, we were all thrown into this wilderness called social distancing. We were cut off from many forms of connection and community. Instead, we remained in our homes, alone. What was that season like for you? If you can think back to that time. How did your life shift during that season? What came of your work, your relationships during that time? A defining image from that season for me was preaching sermons to a camera in a room by myself. It was strange. It was a weird experience, you know, but just, just preaching sermons in a room by myself and sending them off into the void of the internet and wondering, does any of this matter at all? Is there any point to any of this? That season brought me face to face with many of my fears. Brought me to face my own sense of inadequacy. 
made me look at the mixed motives of, of my life, right? The, the, the motive of serving others, but also um, kind of a desire for, for my own affirmation, self-fulfillment, right? There are parts of me that legitimately longed for connection and, and community. And there are other parts of me that just kind of wanted that pat on the back to boost my ego, right? A mix of sadness and selfishness. A mix of faith and fear. A mix of purpose and meaninglessness. The wilderness has a way of bringing all of these things up, doesn't it? It makes us face all kinds of things we might not want to face. So what was that season like for you? What did you experience in the wilderness of the pandemic. As that time, eventually, of strict separation came to an end, my guess is that there, there are two primary responses that, that began to emerge. Uh, some readily leapt right back in to community and, and experiences with others and, and, and that sort of thing, clamoring for connection again. And then there were others who thought that that time alone was not nearly enough. I could use a few more months. I could use a few more years of time away from people, right? You can probably, do you, do you resonate with one or the other of those, perhaps? I, I, part of me resonates with both. But I want to point us once more to this image that we've been considering, a table in the wilderness. Because I think it shows us a different option than just those two. Rather than the way of distant isolation, stay away, or the way of anxious connection, come here, there's the way of the wilderness table. It is neither a rejection of community nor an addiction to community. But it is a whole different kind of community. And this is what we see emerging in the wilderness ministry of John the Baptist that we've been reflecting on. It's what we see in the community that forms around Jesus. It's what we are called to be today as the people of Jesus, as a people who become a table in the wilderness. So let's look back at our passage again briefly. In Matthew chapter 3, I'll read a couple portions of it, and then we can enter into reflecting on this theme. Matthew chapter 3. Beginning in verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. 
Down in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for setting a table in the wilderness. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what does community look like for John the Baptist? What does community look like for John the Baptist? At first, we might say, not much, right? Uh, He lives in the wilderness, he wears a shirt made of hair, and he eats bugs. And yet, he's not a lone ranger, right? Clearly, he's not all that influenced by other people and the way that they think and act, but he's not a lone ranger. Ranger. When people come to him, he does not shun them. He does not flee from them. Rather, he welcomes them. He speaks to them. He listens to their confessions. And he baptizes them. John is shaped by his solitude, but he also welcomes community. And it's, it's precisely because of his solitude that his community takes on a whole different nature. So one of the questions we have to, to wonder about as we think about being a community in the wilderness is this, what is the relationship between solitude and community? What's the relationship between solitude and community? Are they polar opposites of one another? Is one of them for introverts and the other one for extroverts? Or maybe solitude and community actually connect with each other and inform one another in some way. In order to get to the root of this question, we we need to clarify some things. Uh, The first thing that we need to clarify is, let's talk about solitude, all right? What is solitude really? You see, there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. There's a difference between loneliness and solitude, and we do a huge disservice if we conflate the two and assume that they're the same thing. You see, loneliness is an anxious experience of disconnection, while solitude is a quiet experience of deep connection. 
I'll say that again. Loneliness is an anxious experience of disconnection, while solitude is a quiet experience of deep connection. Now, what's interesting about this distinction is how it actually transcends whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. Because you can feel anxiously disconnected when you're by yourself. But you can also feel anxiously disconnected when you're around a whole bunch of other people too. Right? You can be lonely on your own And you can be lonely in a crowd. Now, in the same way, you can feel a sense of quiet connection when you're by yourself. But you can also feel a quiet sense of connection in a group of people. You can experience solitude in the midst of the world. See, loneliness and solitude are not so much about where we are, but who we are. Henry Nouwen describes some of the differences this way. He says, by attentive living, we can learn the difference between being present in loneliness and being present in solitude. When you're alone in an office, a house, or an empty waiting room, you can suffer from restless loneliness, but you can also enjoy quiet solitude. Or, he says, when you're teaching in a classroom, listening to a lecture, watching a movie, or chatting at a happy hour, you can have the unhappy feeling of loneliness, but also the deep contentment of someone who speaks, listens, and watches from the tranquil center of his or her solitude. It's not too difficult to distinguish between the restless and the restful, between the driven and the free, between the lonely and the solitary in our surroundings. Do you see the difference between these things? These are not about where we are, but about who we are. In the wilderness, we are invited to transform restless loneliness into restful solitude. We're invited to move from anxious disconnection to quiet connection. So there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. Now the next thing we need to clarify is community. What is community? Because there's a difference between crowds and community. There's a difference between crowds of people and communities of people. Crowds are defined by numbers. How many people are there? But community 
is defined by presence. Crowds are defined by numbers, but community is defined by presence. Crowds are about numbers of people being together. And what our world loves about crowds is how easy they are to track. You can track attendance. You can count statistics. You can even very reliably predict crowds and what they will do. It's called a crowd mentality, right? There's kind of a mindlessness about crowds. They just kind of do what they do. Uh, and and that, that's just what happens. But community is altogether different. Community can't be tracked or counted. It can't be predicted. Because presence can't be measured. It can only be participated in. So here's the thing, because crowds are merely about numbers, it's possible to be lonely and feel disconnected within that mindless crowd. But with community, defined by presence with one another, it's impossible to feel lonely within true community. Because there's a deep, innate connection at the heart of true community. And this is where solitude and community overlap with one another. Solitude's state of quiet connection is what enables us to be truly present in community. Henry Nouwen concludes that quote I read a moment ago with this sentence. He says, When we live with a solitude of heart, we can listen with attention to the words and the worlds of others. But when we are driven by loneliness, we tend to select just those remarks and events that bring immediate satisfaction to our own craving needs. So solitude and community are related to one another. They actually need one another. Because they're not simply about being alone or being in a crowd. Rather, they're about connection and presence. They form and inform one another. Solitude keeps community from devolving into merely a noisy crowd. And community keeps solitude from devolving into something that is merely lonely and selfish. Another great writer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, puts it this way in his book, Life Together, reflecting on Christian community. He says, only in the fellowship do we learn to be rightly alone. And only in aloneness do we learn to live rightly in the fellowship. Only in the fellowship do we learn to be rightly alone, and only in aloneness do we learn to live rightly in the fellowship. Each by itself has profound fit 
pitfalls, and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. And so let one who cannot be alone beware of community. And let one who is not in community beware of being alone. These need one another. And this is what we see emerging from the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist shows us this kind of solitude and community in the wilderness. He is neither a self-absorbed lone ranger nor a crowd-hungry people-pleaser. He is rooted in the quiet connection of solitude. And because of that, he is able to welcome and be present with people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan who come to him. And this begins to transform our sense of community. Because those who anxiously grasp for community often see it primarily for what it can give to them. While those who resist community often see it primarily for what community takes from them. But both of these ways of approaching community are essentially self-centered. Right? What is it going to give to me? Or what is it going to cost me? It's focused on the self. But what we see in the wilderness is an altogether different kind of of community. Look at that exchange between John and Jesus, beginning in verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And this back and forth interaction between Jesus and John, we see a picture of a different kind of community that is formed in the wilderness. And there are three things I want to point out about this kind of community. Is that it's a community that is submitting to one another. It's a community that is listening to one another. And it's a community that is encouraging one another. These are some of the things that begin to emerge from life together in the wilderness. And so the first one, submitting to one another. Jesus submits to John, right? He comes to John saying, baptize me, right? That's a posture of submission, But then John says, no, you know, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, come on. And so then in turn, John submits to Jesus. You see this pattern of mutual submission in the wilderness. Because neither one of them, John or Jesus, are concerned with their own ego. Neither one of them is concerned with their own status their own place in the pecking order. 
That's not what it's about. And so they're, they're free to submit to one another. It's one of the ways that Paul describes community. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says to the, the community there, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we think about church, we often think about, you know, the psalms and the hymns and the music and the praise. But our community is meant to also be marked by submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. A freedom to look truly at one another and seek the best in one another. Give up the the competition that we've always learned from the world around us. I love how Richard Foster defines submission. He says, submission is being free from always having to get our own way. Isn't it exhausting to always have to get your own way? Exhausting to hold on to every single outcome? has to be like this. Submission frees us from that. It's a freedom from always having to get our own way. As we submit to one another, we learn a different way of being together, and in turn, a different way of being in the world. This is how the wilderness forms us into a different kind of of community. Another thing I see here is, is the way that, that a wilderness community is marked by listening to one another. It's marked by listening to one another. Notice this back and forth that John and Jesus have with one another. Jesus comes to be baptized. John says, no way, you know, it should be the other way around. And, and then Jesus responds, right? There's this back and forth. At the heart of this, there is a conflict, right? John thinks it should be this way. And Jesus says, no, it really should be this way. And so, you know, they fought and then never spoke again, right? That's how we do things today, right? That's how we do things all the time, right? You know, I don't like the comment you left on Facebook, blocked, right? Never have to listen to you again. But Jesus and John model this way of being present with one another and listening, despite having different ideas. They listen to one another. And look at what it leads them to. Because they actually listen to one another and stay there, in the conflict, uh, and, and kind of go back and forth, we end up in this place of Jesus being baptized and heaven being opened, and the Spirit descending, and those words spoken, you are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. All right? If we could only have patience to listen to one another, we might encounter the descending of the Spirit. 
and the truth of our belovedness in Christ. If we could only listen to one another patiently, despite our differences and disagreements. It's a whole different way of being in community. A friend of Richard Foster's, Dallas Willard, often spoke about the spiritual discipline of not having to have the last word. This is what we're invited to step into as we listen to one another. Do you always have to say the last thing? Do you always have to add in your two cents? Or can we practice the spiritual discipline of not having to have the last word? When we're formed in the wilderness and and that, that combination of solitude and community, we're free from that. We're free from insisting on our own way. We're free from having to have all the answers and all the perfect things to say. But we can listen to one another. And I truly believe, we've talked about it before, that if we could only listen to one another, the world would be transformed. And so the wilderness community is a listening community. We've been talking a lot about the desert mothers and fathers, and, uh, you know, they're often seen as this, you know, ancient bunch of, of old recluses, right? Solitary hermits. They, they, they're just living in isolation, not interacting with anyone or anything. And, and they spent a long time in that kind of isolated space. But it is precisely because they were committed to community that we have a whole collection of their sayings because they spoke to one another, and they listened to one another, and they actually shared a good bit of life together. One of my favorite uh, interactions uh, is, you know, there's this this practice they had of some of the younger ones uh, having to get together with one of the older ones as kind of a mentor figure uh, and sharing the depths of their hearts with them, and then the older father or mother would listen to them. Uh, and there's one day that, that one of the younger ones came and, and said, Father, why is it that we have to go about manifesting all of our thoughts to one another? Right? Why do I have to share? Why do we have to listen? And he responded, The devil would love nothing more than for you to not manifest your thoughts. one another. He would love for you to live in that isolated place that doesn't cause us to listen to one another or truly hear from one another. But Jesus invites us into that listening space of community, of connection, of presence. Are we willing to listen and share from the depths of our hearts? So it's a community that submits to one another. It's a community that listens to one another despite conflict and difference. And then there's one more thing that I see in this interaction between Jesus and John is that it's a community that encourages one another. 
and encourages one another. Remember, uh, in this interaction, John says, no, I need to be baptized by you. I'm not, I'm not worthy earlier, he said, to even tie your shoes. But Jesus says, no, I do need to be baptized by you. Right? And he encourages him to step into this action that he would have otherwise shrunk back from. And so in, in this wilderness community, we speak encouraging truth to one another and call one another to the actions that we might be too afraid to enter into. Remember, as Paul wrote, we are to sing and make music to one another. In other passages, he says, we are to encourage one another over and over again. This is who we're meant to be, a community that speaks truth and encouragement to one another. But again, this encouragement comes out of that quiet connection of solitude. Not the anxious fear of loneliness, because otherwise it's just flattery. Right? There's a way of speaking encouragement that is just trying to get the attention that we want. If I tell them something nice, then they'll smile at me. Right? Flattery is not the same as encouragement. Encouragement literally means to impart courage to someone, which is what Jesus does with John here. Come, baptize me. And John consents. He steps into what he thought he was unworthy to or unable to do. And so we too need to be a community that speaks this truth to one another, that imparts courage to one another and calls one another into action that we might be afraid of. Wilderness community submits to one another because it's free from having to get its own way. Listens to one another because we don't always have to have the last word and encourages one another because we truly believe that the truest thing about us is that we are dearly loved by God. And perfect love casts out fear. So we encourage one another. So that COVID season was one of deep isolation. And it was one of loneliness in which I had to face a lot of the things that were in my heart that I didn't want to face. But as we began to come back together, you'll probably remember a couple of years ago, we were having these conversations about returning and reflecting. And one of the beautiful things that emerged from that time were these little story groups where we began to gather for the purpose of being present to one another, of listening to one another, and of encouraging one another. I hope that we can continue to be a people who carry this kind of community together. Not emerging out of 
our fear of anxious loneliness, but emerging from that quiet place of connection together in the wilderness. May it be so. Amen.